Good morning, church family. What a joy to be together again. I'm going to jump right into our passage today, 2 Kings chapter 2. We're continuing our study of chariots of fire, and this is the passage from which the name of the series is derived. So let's read together. 2 Kings 2, beginning with verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Verse 4, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Verse 6, Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them to go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Verse 14. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Verse 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, 
Behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you, you shall not send. But they urged him until he was ashamed. He said, send. They sent, therefore, 50 men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Verse 19, Now the men of the city, this is Jericho, said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. What a passage. This is the word of the Lord. This is about the cloak, the mantle, literally passing from Elijah to Elisha, isn't it? This is the passage is all about what does it mean to follow. So I want to pause for there a minute. What does it mean to follow? We think about following it can mean very simple things. Watch carefully, listen carefully. If you're following a person, if you're following someone on socials, you're following directions. It can also mean to pursue, to run after, to do likewise, following. But it can also mean what comes next? It can mean succession. In this case here, the generational transfer. And that's what's happening. There's following going on. And I also want to kind of help us when we're reading the scripture. I, I trust you all have been reading along with us in anticipation of Sundays. What a joy to do that. Did you notice in this passage many, many repeated phrases and a certain structure? There's a really compelling structure. I actually had to look it up. And I think it's pronounced chiasm. I'm pretty sure. Not 100% sure, but there's actually a structure to how this story is unfolded to us. And a chiasm is a literary feature that presents words or elements in a story in a certain order and then reflects them back to us. Did you see that in the passage? It starts with Elijah and Elisha traveling together. And they're not just traveling aimlessly. I know it's easy for us in the modern day when we read scripture, you just see a Gilgal and Bethlehem goes right over your head. It's worth going to look. What, does the, what do those places mean? Where did they come? Can I just encourage you on your own reading? When you come across a place, it matters. It's not a throwaway. They're actually leaving Israel. They're leaving. The, or, the orientation of as they're going is they're in Samaria, which used to be part of the United Kingdom, now divided kingdom, and they're leaving. They're leaving Israel. They go through Bethel. The sons of the prophets are there. The sons of the prophets encourage and affirm Elisha and Jericho. The same thing, sons of the prophets. Then they come to the Jordan. They cross the Jordan by striking the water with the cloak. Elijah strikes the water with the cloak. I read just totally coincidentally this morning in my, on my um, Bible reading time. 
when Moses crossed the Red Sea. And the similarities are striking. That's intentional. Then there's this, we're, we're, again, we're following this, this chiastic structure so that the elements are unfolding for us. There's a double portion of the Spirit that Elisha requests. You see that in, in, verse, in verse 10, verse 9. And Elijah's like, yeah, that's a hard thing. Here's the condition. You must see me. So he sets a condition. Now we come to the middle of the chiasm. And that is intentional. It's meant to highlight and to emphasize what's happening. What's happening is Elijah is leaving. Chariots and horses of fire. A whirlwind ascension. Where else in scripture do we know of a great prophet ascending? Jesus. This is intentional. Remember we talked about echoing and foreshadowing in scripture. The condition, now we're, now we're reflecting back the elements of the story. What was the condition? For Elijah, Elisha to have the double spirit to see. And it says, the scripture is very blunt, isn't it? And Elisha saw, and then he saw him no more. So the condition was met. Elisha sees that, and he sheds his own clothing in grief, picks up the cloak that Elijah had dropped, and receives the double portion of his spirit. How do we know this? Because he goes back to the Jordan where they were, smacks it with the cloak, and it parts. The sons of the prophets see the same thing, and then he begins to travel back. And there's a there's little bit of differences, but in essence, he is going back the direction they came. He's going back into Israel, which, by the way, is still caught up in pagan idolatry, and he's going back to continue the ministry that Elijah had done. Okay, so that's the structure. It's just helpful to see that, because it's not just an accounting before us. It's actually intended to convey uh, emphasis to us and intended to convey this. We read this today and we forget that in this day, the original audience was primarily an oral history. So a structure like this is very helpful to remember. Well, honestly, we need help to remember too, don't we? So it's just helpful to kind of recognize that this is how the scripture is speaking to us. So enough on the literary. Let's take some moments to walk through what is God showing us about himself here? We've called the series Chariots of Fire when God breaks in. Oh, is God breaking in here? Or what? Right? So a great thing to do again when you're reading scripture in the Kings and elsewhere is how is God speaking to us? What is God showing of himself to us? How is he breaking in? What is he revealing about himself in this account? Well, God demonstrates deliberate attention to and control of history and place and even movement. It can seem initially on first pass, can it, when we're reading this, they're just like, is Elijah just like going to random places? No. God is guiding him. He said the Lord is leading him to go to Bethel. The Lord has told me to go as far as Jericho. The Lord has led me to the Jordan. It may feel random, but it isn't random. And God is revealing what he is going to do beforehand. It's really interesting. This passage is, on one level, it's like very, very obvious. On another level, it's just remarkably mysterious. And I'm just going to say that, and I'm not going to take all the mystery out for you. I can't. I have wrestled with it, and I don't understand all of it. I'm just saying that flat out. Um, It's interesting here that everyone seems to know that Elijah is going to be taken. And in fact, the story even begins with the narrator giving away the climactic event right in verse 1. Did you see that? Like, if you want to tell a great story like this, 
hold on that until we actually get to the part, right? It's just like, why would you just... And uh, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, what? <laughs> Wait a second. But it's, everyone seems to know. It's like, we all are assume, everyone is assumed to know that this happened. Fascinating. God reveals what he's going to do beforehand and even have this repeated um, interaction with the sons of the prophets. This is a group that Elijah had been training. And they're just like so excited to tell Elijah, did you know? Do you know the Lord's going to take your master today? And Elijah's like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> Enough. I got it. Like, you know, there's just something God reveals what he's going to do beforehand. And then there's this other element. And yet it's still a surprise. It's still a surprise. There's still surprise when it actually happens. No one appeared to know or expect exactly how God was going to take Elijah away. Elisha persists in following him. He stays with him, and he's just talking with him. He's just doing life with him. And I want to pause on this and just say, isn't it the same with us? Don't we know that God is with us? If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've repented of your sins and believe in him, don't we know that he's with us? But doesn't he surprise us? Oh, doesn't he surprise us? The people of Israel, all of God's people, from the beginning um, of his redemptive work, expected God to intervene, expected him to come, expected him to send the Savior, the Messiah. But did they expect him to send him to be a little baby born in a manger? Did they expect him to end up on a Roman cross? He surprises us, but he tells us what he's going to do. I just want to pause on that point because it's so real to our lives. And we cannot and should not put our God in a box. This scripture, if it says nothing else to us, says this. He will not be boxed in. He will break in as he sees fit. And hallelujah for that. Thank God it's not up to us, right? I mean, thank God it's not up to us to, oh, God needs to work the way I expect. No. Let's just pause and say, no, he doesn't. He works as he plans. And let's be more surprised. And I appreciated Eric's word to us during worship. Sometimes that hurts, family. We have people who are sick and dying among us. That hurts. I don't understand that. And it's okay to not understand and to insist as the Lord lives and as you yourself live. I will not leave. Where will we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. This is what is being conveyed. Do you see that? So God is, he reveals what he's going to do before and he's breaking in, but he's also surprising us. He tells us, but then he's surprised how exactly his word and his works are revealed. What else is God showing us here? Well, it's interesting. Elijah seems to test Elisha's commitment that doesn't sound really nice in our day and age, does it? It's almost a personal insult. What are you, what are you doing? Like, and, and it's all very polite. You look back at the, please stay here. 
for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. This is Elisha, whom Elijah, by God's direction, had called to follow him. Do you know how he called him to follow him back in chapter 19? He cast his cloak over him. Elisha's following him as he's supposed to, and now he's saying, please stay here. What, what does that mean? In, in essence, inviting him to stay behind. He doesn't do it once. He doesn't do it twice. He does it three times. Three times. Elisha, please stay here. I, the Lord has led me on elsewhere. Is he trying to protect him? Is he not knowing exactly what's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this because it says in the scripture, Elisha responds every time, and it's not an accident. The repetition is intentional. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. There are a few times in scripture where it is absolutely and utterly sublime when someone expresses their faith and commitment. This is one of them. It makes me think of Ruth not leaving Naomi. We can think of others. We don't have time. As long as you live, Elisha's saying, I'm coming with you. Beautiful. Then they come to the moment. We're in the middle of the chiasm. And they're across the Jordan. They're out of Israel. They're out of the promised land. But Elijah's about to come to his. And he says, what shall I do for you, Elisha, before I'm taken from you? This is, again, just a perplexing question. Like, are we still testing? Like, what, what is going on? I don't know all the answers to that. But Elisha says this. He says, please let there be a double portion, verse 9, of your spirit on me. We, again, have to let the other scriptures help us interpret the scripture because there's multiple ways you can go with this. And if you're reading the scripture ever by itself, let me just warn you, that's a good way to get off track quick. <laughs> a great uh, reference is like the little letters in your scripture that point you to other scriptures. And you might have it in here, one that points you to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, which talks about inheritance if you are not the actual firstborn, but were in essence the adopted or appointed firstborn. And it says a double portion. So Elisha is asking, treat me in essence as your son. It's just amazing. It isn't some arrogant, I want to be twice as powerful as you. That's what I've always thought. I've always thought Elisha just wanted to be a big bad, you know, it's my turn to be prophet. No, he's, Elijah is his spiritual father. And he's like, please, there's also a sense of, you remember when Solomon asked for um, wisdom? There's a sense of that here. Elisha's like, I can't do it. I know you're leaving. Please, can I have this? Who can govern this great people of yours? Who can be this kind of a prophet? Are you kidding? You called down fire on Mount Carmel. What am I going to do? There's the, this is what's happening. Elijah says in response, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Again, this is a bit of a testing. And then, of course, here we come. Suddenly, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 11, why does God take Elijah away that way? This is unparalleled in Scripture. And they're, 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 yes, he foreshadows Jesus' ascension. Enoch 
a few, I don't remember how many generations in, it just says the Lord took him. He walked with God and the Lord took him. So there was a precedent in the sense of someone not physically dying or in the way that we commonly dying. But chariots of fire? Horses of fire? Part of why I was so passionate about calling this series Chariots of Fire, besides the fact that I want to reclaim the phrase <laughs> for all of us oldies uh, from Vangelis and the movies and everything else, is, is there is the, the chariot, which we totally, over our heads in modern culture, was utterly the representation of power in the ancient times. In fact, in my reading this morning, coincidentally, when Pharaoh was coming after the Israelites, after he had expelled them, it says, Pharaoh and all his chariots and horsemen. It says it three times. I'm like, there, there it is. He's conveying the world and all its might and power is coming after God's people. Why does the Lord rescue and take Elijah away this way? He affirms his power through his prophets, but I think he, in essence, is defending Elijah. This is a man who has, in representing God, been absolutely beleaguered consistently. Remember when he was on Mount Carmel and he called down the fire and expected Ahab and all of Israel to repent and respond, and they didn't. Not only did they not, they threatened his life, and he ran, understandably. God is stepping in and saying, I'm going to bring you up. He sends fire down and he brings him up in fire. And in this way of like demonstrating his might, God's might and God's power, which is unparalleled. Fire, chariots of fire, horses of fire. And he escapes from death itself. He goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm not sure, I, I read a Spurgeon's account on this, which was my first mistake. You should never read Charles Spurgeon preaching the passage you're supposed to preach on. That's just a... But anyway, the, one, the reason I bring it up is he actually surprised me. He, he said, um, I wouldn't pick this. I would rather die. There's more of a certainty associated with it. There's a fearful element to this too. And we, we, we can't, it's one verse, but I just wonder... I, I think it's also helpful as we read scripture to give ourselves room and time to wonder. Because we should step back and wonder at this. Chariots of fire separated them. Did that hurt? Was that violent? It just says his cloak fell and he's gone. We talked about Jesus, the greater prophet, later ascending. But Jesus did not escape death. He went through it. It's just interesting parallels. God will do what he wants to do and how he wants to do it to affirm his word and his work. And this is how he's breaking in right now. He is transferring the mantle. There's a generational transfer and it's literally the cloak, the mantle falls from Elijah to the ground where who picks it up? Elisha. Elisha. And what does he do? There's an immediate action on Elisha's part. And he's climbing back out of the chiastic structure. He crosses the Jordan. He heals Jericho's water. He reverses Joshua's curse. Do you remember in the conquest 
when the Israelites were coming in and they defeated Jericho, Joshua and the Israelites defeated Jericho, he cursed the city. Did you know that Elisha's name echoes Joshua's name in Hebrew? There's deliberate echoing of the figure. Elijah very much echoes Moses and Elisha very much echoes Joshua. He reverses his curse. This will not be the last prophet with power over water and the curse. So says Tony Morita in his excellent commentary on this passage. No, it will not. Then what else does Elisha do? He, he receives immediate affirmation. 15 through 18, we don't have time to go through it. I read it all. I, I thought about not reading it because I know it's a long passage of scripture, but I just thought, it's here. Let's just hear it. It's interesting. This, these, this group, these sons of the prophets, Elijah was busy in his... Some commentators think he was retired, in essence. He certainly was not in the public eye after Mount Carmel. But he was busy training. These were students. These were, these were younger men, presumably men, but may have also been women. There's no reason why there wouldn't be. Scripture regularly uses the male and represents both male and female. But it was deliberate as Elijah was going through these places. Before he left, he's reconnecting with his schools, in essence, the schools he had set up in these cities, which, by the way, were strongholds for pagan worship. They, they were, they were they're, not, they're not safe places, that's for sure. And anyway, these guys, they see Elisha come back, split the Jordan. Here he comes. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. Very good. That's very, <laughs> glad you recognize that. But then they also like, well, hey, can 50 of us go find... See, go, let us go find him. It's interesting that he uses the word, uh, the uh, number 50. We were just talking about this last chapter. The captain of the 50s from Ahaziah. I don't know what the significance of that is, but I can't help but recognize it keeps talking about 50. And they also recognize that uh, actually Elijah had moved supernaturally before. Remember the story after the, the victory at Mount Carmel? He, it says he girded up his robes and outran Ahab's chariot to the palace at Jezreel. So they had good reason to say, let us go check. I don't, know if, I don't think anybody, again, expected Elijah to be translated directly into heaven via chariots of fire. They knew the Lord was going to take him away, but how they didn't. So they go and check. I, I, this is another one of those just head scratchers, church family. I just I I wish I could do more to explain this, and I wrestled this so so much. I can't explain it all. I don't exactly understand how the interactions are, but it does. These are the at least the conclusions we can draw. One, when God surprises us, we respond in humility, but we also respond out of her humanity. And I think there's something of humanity here to just let us go look. Let us go look. Elisha is already certain God has taken him. He was right there. I'm not entirely sure if the other sons of the prophets actually saw everything that happened. Scripture doesn't say, so we don't know. But there's just, again, just stepping back and wondering a bit at the story. God knows that we're, he knows how we're made. He made us. There's some humility and humanity in it. Um, So, Elisha lets them go. They go, they don't find him. He said, I told you. Um, And then there's this very perplexing and very difficult passage right at the end. 
Elisha takes immediate action after Elijah is gone. He, takes, he receives immediate affirmation from the sons of the prophets, and then he receives immediate persecution from not the sons of the prophets, sons of the pagan idolaters. Bethel was the, was the center of golden calf idol worship that the original king of the split kingdom, Jeroboam, had set up. And the, the term here, this, when it's translated small boys, may actually refer to young stewards or servants. It's very analogous to sons of the prophets, but obviously not from a faith perspective. So we get this very, very rough story. And I just want to say this at the, you know, right up front. This judgment, not unlike what Eric preached to us last week, when um, God brings fire down on Ahaziah's captain in his 50s. This judgment offends our sensibilities, does it not? Who among us can read this story and think, oh yeah, yeah, that's what they deserve, good. It's ugly. It's bothersome. But it is we who need to adjust, not Scripture. When our sensibilities, our cultural understanding are impacted, affected, bothered, we're the ones that need to press in and ask, okay, Lord, well, why is this here? What is going on? So again, as I said, Bethel was a center of idolatry since the time of Jeroboam. The irony here is that Bethel originally also was where Jacob had encountered God. When Bethel was first founded, it was, that's what it means, house of God, Bethel. Jacob had founded it, but it had, how far it had slid from that, that time. However culturally embedded, it's a serious offense to ridicule a prophet and showing contempt for the God he represents. Some, some I, I couldn't get, there were differing views among the commentators, but some thought they were merely mocking him. Go up, you bald head. He probably didn't have hair. And merely mocking him physically. Some think that they were mocking and had heard the story. Well, Elijah was translated, go ahead, you go, you go. In any case, they were mocking him. And more importantly, they were mocking God. They were challenging God and his power. So what comes across to us as very harsh for Elisha to turn and curse them in the name of the Lord is actually a direct response to the persecution and a right response in terms of applying God's judgment. And we're not clear from the scripture if the boys were killed. Presumably they were. In any case, it was judgment without question and difficult. I'll just point out that these stories are not standalone. Remember, echoing and foreshadowing. Years later, another prophet would come into a town that was rife with idolatry. That town was not Bethel, it was Jerusalem. And he would receive ridicule as well, but he would not only proclaim right judgment, he would bear it in his own body. We see the harshness, though the rightness of God's judgment, and then anticipate the glory of his judgment taken on himself. Just a stunning passage. So let me start to draw us to bring the plane in the land, as they say. Let me ask us, walking through the story, what does it mean to fully follow God? 
we have here represented by Elijah, represented by Elisha, and ultimately represented by Jesus. But let me just say this. I think we can draw at least these points, what it means to fully follow God. Number one, be fully committed. Burn all bridges, no fallbacks, no backup options, and no exit plans. Easier said than done. Please stay here. The Lord is called as the Lord lives and as you yourself live. I will not leave you. Please stay here, the Lord, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. From the beginning, back at, uh, I won't read it for time, but 1 Kings 19, Elijah passed by Elisha and cast his cloak on him. And it says, he left the oxen and ran after him. Let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again. What have I done to you? He returned from following me, took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes and gave it to the people. And, they, and then he rose and went after Elijah and assisted him. What does all this mean? Elisha left his family and his occupation, burned them, literally. Bridges were burned. That's it. I'm committed. You're the man. So when he says, now at this point, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you, it is demonstrating the fullness of his commitment. Do you remember the passage I think Eric referred to last week where um, in Luke 9, where uh, Jesus' disciples were, shall we call fire down on these towns that weren't listening, right? Well, the verses that follow, immediately after that, Jesus talks about what it means to follow. And he says, as they were going along the road, some guy came up to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds have air, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But then he said, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what does it look like to fully, what does it mean to follow God? Are you fully committed like this? How do we persevere? How do we persist? How do we forsake all to follow? Not just Elisha following Elijah, following the great prophet, following Jesus. Are we all in, are we sold out like the disciples? fully committed, fully present to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ, is to be where he is. There's something about it being there. Like as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. There is a presence there. And it's not just a presence. There's a very strong physical and relational element to it. We were talking about this in, in, as part of our um, Eric Let Us in Prayer pre-service, which again, I just want to echo, please come early so you can come pray with us. It has double benefits. We can pray together and then we can all be in here when we're starting worship, which is a good thing to do. <laughs> so it's, but he was talking about the presence here and the relationship that's communicated. It's easy again to read this passage and miss um, how personal Elisha cries out in grief, my father, my father. There's a grief there. There's a real grief there. It's not just, oh, okay, it's now my time to be... It hurts. There's a personal commitment, personal relationship there. I just want to ask, are you where he is? Speaking of Jesus, are you doing what he's doing? John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Fully committed, fully present, watching expectantly, acting accordingly. Again, God is always revealing his word and always revealing his work. Do we expect him 
to speak and to work, even if, and knowing he will do it, but will surprise us in how he does it. Yeah, so Elisha acts, he takes the cloak that Elijah, that had fallen from him, and he goes back into the same mission field. We, family, we are the ones who are now called. It's not as easy to just say, okay, well, Elisha did this, and now we're all the new Elisha. No, I don't mean that. But here's, here's what we are. We are on this side of the cross. We are on this side of Jesus showing his great power, taking on judgment on our behalf, and imparting his Holy Spirit on us. And it's no double portion. It is the whole of the Holy Spirit on us. We are on this side of that. So our expectations when we read this story should not be, oh, that was for old times and Elijah and Elisha will do this. Our expectations should be, honestly, infinitely higher now for what God is doing in us now. We watch expectantly and we act accordingly because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Yes, this world is surrounded in sin and pain and agony, and we struggle through it too, do we not? But the Holy Spirit of God is in us. And then the last thing I'll say, I'm out of time, is it's all about passing it on. You want to follow? You're fully committed, fully present, watching expectantly, acting accordingly, and passing it on. Because we're disciples who make disciples. Elijah was doing that with the sons of the prophets, and in particular with Elisha. Elisha comes back, the first people he interacts with, the sons of the prophets. He's interacting. We're doing it here. It's so beautiful. We don't just invite new members because that's the, the thing that we do. It's amazing. We are a family, and it's not just a cushy-feely family. We're a family that's going to speak into one another's lives and challenge one another to follow like this, and most importantly, to recognize we have received God's grace. We don't need a chariot of fire to take us. We have already been secured. Amen? Amen. Amen.